Welcome to King's Touch Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe God's word will impact your everyday life. All right, we have been in Nehemiah chapter number eight, and we've handled a few verses there. Uh, today we'll try to do the the home run. And uh, we'll look a few others there, touch a little bit uh, on Ezra there, the compatriot of Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, what we are reading in Nehemiah 8 is just uh, uh, the writing on the same uh, uh, gentleman there, Ezra, uh, the priest. And yesterday we saw him uh, as a scribe. Glory to God. So in verse number 3, they read from morning till evening, rather from morning until midday. Uh, all the people are attentive to the word. And as we saw from 18, they read from the first day to the last day. When you quickly read it in one verse and another verse at the end, it looks like a quick flip that you read within a minute. But from morning till midday, that's about six hours of engaging with a book. Uh, to a weak average mind, that is tedious and overwhelming and too much to bear. And uh, I know many of us are in that class because you come to church and feel the preaching has gone too long. This is too much, too many scriptures. I mean, you have to give us all the psychological statistics of how much your brain can handle. I mean, you underestimate the capacity of your brain because God has sized you up for great things and great things take diligence and diligence is part of the labor, uh, the labor of excellence that you'll be able to push uh, beyond what you were able to achieve yesterday or the other the day uh, to be able to qualify ourselves into the fullness of God's order. Glory to God. So every time you find a struggle over book issues, and by now when I mention the book, I know exactly what you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, you are just sizing up your cup. You're sizing up the cup of your spirit. You're sizing up the cup of your soul. The capacity uh, that you have availed uh, for production. Is it too long? Is it too much? Is it too big? What is the size of your heart? Glory to God. Uh, some of us are absolutely unsized. That's why in three, four minutes of preaching, you're already sleeping. Hallelujah. What is the size of your cup? 15 minutes of a laboring preacher and you're already distributing property. You distribute one in Mikocheni. <laughs> you take another one to Makongo. <laughs> and even the other one in the Changanyikeni. <laughs> You just keep distributing them. <laughs> Some of you are too Christian and so Catholic where you are raised. Uh, distributing property, he died and rose again. You are all died and rose again. He died and rose again. Our responsibility in scripture is to receive and full the, give the full disclosure of truth. That we'll be able to receive the truth and then be able to, uh, regardless of our circumstances, be able to pass it on to others. Glory to God. In that light, therefore, I would like to take a home run today as I talk about the nurturing of the legacy of the book. Because the legacy of the book must be nurtured. We must be able to receive it and be able to give it to the next generation. We receive it and are able to give it to the next generation. You cannot give what you do not have. And if you don't receive it, you'll never have nothing to give. I know you're working so hard to get you cars and houses and lands and all those beautiful things. But the greatest heritage you can give your children and the next generation and those that look up to you and those that you inspire nothing greater than the book 
Matter of fact, if you give them the book, uh, you'll have given them worth more than houses, lands, uh, and cars, and all that can go together. Glory to God. But you see, uh, the cars and houses without the book uh, is only as a fleeting moment and as a passing cloud. Am I talking to somebody already? Say hallelujah. So therefore, we must have the responsibility in scripture to receive it and then have a full disclosure of the truth as we pass it on to others. Pass it on to others. When is the last time you read scripture thinking about the next generation and thinking about those that listen to you, thinking about uh, those that receive from you? Because if you read scripture, you know God told Abraham that I'm going to bless you, uh, that in you, the nations of the world shall be blessed. Some of us look at the Abrahamic blessing as an end in itself in the life of Abraham, which is so much myopic of you to comprehend like that because God is blessing Abraham so that in Abraham the nations of the world may be but blessed. You look at him uh, beating the odds at uh, Potiphar's house in Egypt. I'm talking about Joseph and you see him beat the jail uh, time and go all the way to become governor and you think God is rewarding him for his faithfulness and I would like to say again that's the sense of our myopic life when you see like man even a good man but when you see like God with a bird's eye view when they were uh, laboring in their uh, apology before him, before the book of Genesis is over, he stops them and he says, you don't have to worry about this because what you intended for evil, God turned it out to work for good that he may preserve our posterity. In other words, it's not really about me, but he's used me as an obedient factor in the equation, but his intent is to preserve a posterity. His intent is to build a nation. Israel is about to be bathed out of Egypt, and as they are coming out as a nation, according to the psalmist, he says, my firstborn have I called out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And yet that would also become a picture and a type of prophetic fulfillment when Jesus comes out of the grave because he becomes the firstborn from the dead. A representation of Egypt. Come out from among them and be separate. In other words, come alive of the thing that kills and takes life out of you and burn in the fullness of the life of God. My firstborn, my son, have I called out of Egypt. Apparently that again became the prophetic sign when Herod wanted to kill Jesus, excuse me, he, excuse me, he turns out in Egypt and the Bible say uh, the angel woke Joseph by night and said the ones that have been looking for the man child to kill him are all dead. You can now go back to Jerusalem. And as they were marching out, he says that it may be fulfilled what was prophesied of Isaiah that my son have I called out of Egypt. I mean, it's interesting. When you read the scripture and begin to see it with God's perspective, with God's eye view, it's absolutely amazing that God is looking at you. You are seeing your life as end inside, but God is seeing a generation. God is seeing impact of a generation. God is seeing impact of a generation, I'm telling you. I look at you and I remember when I first came many years ago to uh, Jerusalem here and uh, uh, Pastor Fred would take me to schools and that's where we met people like your wonderful Pastor here today in school. I mean, we used to talk to students in uniform and would be there preaching our hearts and from school to school. Sometimes he has to, we pray all morning figuring out how we are going to find means of transport to the next school. I don't remember their names, this school and that school and the other school. And when you think about it, you think about Pastor Fred and the ministry in Tanzania. But now he's not here. And guess what? I'm looking at a generation. I'm looking at a generation, a reflection of a man's obedience in faith to God. 
A beautiful, beautiful picture of how you need to begin to see yourself. Because if all you see is you, your business, your wife, your dog, your VW Beetle, and a happy life with your two-bedroom apartment. I mean, that's so narrow to live life like that. Life is larger than that. And God will make you larger than life if you can open the door to live the fullness of life according to his plan and his agenda. Glory to God. That you will be a mighty oak upon which the birds of the air will come and settle, find rest refuge and find a home and find peace in your counsel, in your wisdom, in your teaching and in the governance of your life. Somebody say you're ready preaching. Hallelujah. So we begin to look at the book here in nurturing the legacy of the book. One guy with a beautiful book you may want to read. It's called The Book That Transformed Nations, published in 2007. His name is Lauren Cunningham, a powerful, powerful missionary. He says the power of the Bible to change any country. The power of the Bible is the power. The Bible has the power to change any country. He says no country is too hard or too poor or too criminal or too divided by war uh, or too spiritually dark to be changed by the Bible. He says the impl- implementation of the Bible's teaching can transform a nation's politics and economics. And this is evidenced with a lot of stats in many countries in history. That's the formula of the book that William Carey uh, uses to transform the nation of India uh, to what India is today in a massive way. He's, he's, uh, he's looked at as, a, as some kind of godfather in India today, having carried the gospel into their system of governance and livelihood in the nation of India. That's how John Calvin turned around Switzerland and a large part chunk of France. I mean, that's how Martin Luther turned around Europe, beginning from uh, uh, Germany and, of course, uh, England and most of France and other places. Glory to God by the presentation of the uh, value and the formula of the book. Nations are turned around. The most recent stories around the world are the success stories of countries, modern-day countries like South Korea and Singapore. South Korea, the, the gospel and the administration of the gospel, where the gospel does not just equal uh, going to church on Sunday having a wonderful seat and hearing a good preacher, but where the gospel is the implementation of biblical truth and principles in areas of governance and family values and and, and business and careers. Glory to God. Ideas like excellence are biblical. Hallelujah. Do you know why the devil is called Beelzebub? Because he's the god of the flies. That's the translation. No, excellence is found in him. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that's why they say when you light a candle on the fire, all the flies go away because they cannot handle the fire. Which is a principle of the book as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Cloven tongues as of fire. When the Holy Spirit comes on a man, hallelujah. I say hallelujah. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking you're shivering and you're shaking and your hair standing and feeling this, that, and the other. When the Holy Ghost come on a man, somebody say hallelujah. When the Holy Ghost come on a man, they are going to give distance. Flies are going to give difference. distance. Glory to God because God is at work and at work indeed. Glory to God. That's the story of South Korea. And bits and pieces of that in Singapore manifesting the same. Glory to God. So, the kind of God that the people worship and the book that represents that God makes the difference in the lives of the people. Hallelujah. 
Plato the philosopher said it in his Socratic dialogue of 375 BC uh, in uh, what he called uh, uh, the writing that he called the Republic. You know what he said? He said, uh, people can never be greater than their God. Greater than their God. The God you serve is going to become a reflection of who you are in your way of life. And most struggling nations around the world, what they call the third world and struggling nations of the world, are struggling so much so, either because they've never known the book or they know the book and lost it. The great United States of America that some call almighty today is only as great as it is because of the foundations in the book. And if they lose the book like they're trying to play the game, don't be surprised when the tables change. When the gospel begins to be carried from Africa to go save the Americans because they let go of the foundations that their fathers set in the building of a nation. Somebody say, talk the word. So in Ezra chapter number 7 and verse number 10, the Bible says, For Ezra, we read this yesterday, had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, and we spent some time on the preparation of the heart there, which is the place of relationship. But listen, what he did with the preparation of the heart. Number one, to do. Let's read it again. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Somebody said to do it. Talk like you believe. He said to do it and to teach in Israel. Said to teach. The, in Israel, the statutes and judgments, that's the reflection of the law of the Lord. In other words, the book. He prepared his heart, number one, to do it, which is the word practice, and number two, to teach it. This is what I call the nurturing of the legacy of the book. We have no legacy of the book until we practice the book. We have no legacy of the book until we teach the book. Say together with me, we must practice it and we must teach it. Say practice and be able to teach it. The message translation says that Ezra had committed himself to studying the revelation of God, to living it, and to teaching it, Israel, to live its truth and his ways. It's to be able to teach it, to practice it, and to teach it. Read it. Study it. Glory to God. Reading and study are two different factors. Glory to God. And you begin in the reading, but you must end in study. Glory to God. The study is the search that will galvanize the meditation part of you. Have you ever had a meditation? I know you hear meditation and you think transcendental meditation. You see the new age guys doing their meditation. The yoga guys do their meditation. There is a level of that activity by the word of God that could leave an imprint on your brain and your spirit for the rest of your days. Because you are lingering around the seed of the word of God that is incorruptible. That will put a seal and a stamp on your brain with intelligence that human ideas cannot comprehend. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, some of us are lowly, average, and daft in many ways. You cannot be considered among intelligent people because your mind has not played around enough with the word of God. He said you meditate in it day and night. Joshua 1, 8, because therein you will see prosperity, you will prosper, and you will see good success. Because when you work with the word, it is working with your human agency of, uh, of, uh, of advancement to begin to give you wisdom and guidance into what you are going to practice and into what you're going to teach hallelujah one of the translations of the word meditation is to gently mutter under your breath 
That's meditation. So you think about it so deeply because remember yesterday she told us as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You think on it so deeply that you begin to mumble it around your breath. You are in traffic and you know what? Someone just cut in your lane and you don't open your window to say donkey and call him, uh, you know, chicken, kukuwewe. One, one pastor told me, man, this guy, he, he doesn't want to know my husband and a whole father of two. How can he say nyejewewe? Because I've, I've, uh, I've I've, you know, crossed him, you know, but but if what you are thinking is what is on your tag, mumbling and rattling, can you imagine you're in the middle of traffic and everything seems to be going wrong around you, but rather than thinking about the environment, your mouth is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not world, for he leadeth me by the still waters. He takes me by the green pastures. Sometimes that happens to me when I'm driving. And before you know it, I, I lost the turn where I was supposed to go. Sometimes I'm going to office. Those of you that know Nairobi, I'm on Gong Road. I'm supposed to turn Lenana because that's where office is. I remember when I'm at the junction, I'm like, Garalela, because the word has been working. By the time I make my turn from junction, I'm ready to preach a three-day series. Glory, hallelujah, for the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not worry. He leadeth me by the still waters. He takes me by the green pastures. He, he, he restores my soul. Then I stay there a little bit. The soul, the soul, the soul. Different from the spirit. Different from the body. For I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. If my soul is broken, he will restore my soul. Hallelujah. You are meditating and causing it to allow us an imprint you know like a like a like a like an infrared imprint on your on your natural faculties hallelujah this is powerful stuff i'm talking to you about it looks very simple but it could transform your life that the right of proverbs says and god help me i need to go where i need to go here but let me say something he says that i receive your word and i receive your truth because it shall be health to my bones and healing to my navel in other words as you keep it like that that could be a real antidote and a dose of immunity on your life hallelujah i say hallelujah when I was growing up all my life, I mean, the devil has fought my life from the word go. First of all, my mother tells me I was supposed to be aborted. Not just supposed to be aborted, but my father paid the cash. Good deal. So the girl can go make an abortion. Can you imagine that? And I always bless God for my mama, who at only 17 years of age, she's only 17 years uh, older than me. Sometimes when I'm with her, these days she's changed a lot, but I would be with her many times and they would think she's my big sister because 17 years is not as large as you would want to imagine. But a 17-year-old girl can say, no, I will not do that. And she decides to go to the village and decides somehow, well, let's hold it through. Glory to God leaves the city because the, the guy says, I, you know, I already have a family. I have my children, including a pair of twins, a happy family, a happy life, a happy wife. I cannot mess my life with uh, a 17-year-old coming to say I'm pregnant. So what do you do? Go take care of it and here's the cash. That's the story of the genesis of my life. For any of you that make consideration of abortion because of your convenience, look at me as a testimony of what that decision can be. Oh, hallelujah. I say, I say, I say, I say, hallelujah. 
So the devil began to fight a long time ago. If I stick on that, I'll spend the rest of your time just telling you the stories and the testimonies of my life. But for most of my life before I knew the Lord, I was a sickler. I had letters that I would take to school that I wouldn't be beaten because I would have a feet, I would have this, I would have the other. At some point later, uh, earlier in my life, I would have this terrible skin disease, rash that, that was so terrible. They tried out everything until my grandmother led my mother to a certain man of God who still abides in the city. He prayed for me in a service and in a twinkling of an eye, the whole skin had shed like a baby skin. And I wasn't only healed on the skin of my body, but the man prophesied, a very old man right now, and he said, this is an apostle of God. He will minister the gospel around the nations. I mean, the calling of God before I could even put intelligence together. For your information, that's Jeremiah 1 and 10, that I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. So what are you talking about here? Not knowing what you're going to eat or drink, and yet in the mind of God, he has a strategic plan. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It is when the word began to work in my life, submitting myself to the work and the effects of the word, that some of these things that have always drawn you from the past by reason of denying your destiny began to break forth off of my life and letting go of my life that I can fly in the fullness of my apostolic order. Glory to God. So I don't know what God is calling you to, but the word of God is relevant in that area too. And yes, you will prosper and you will see good success. Glory to God. I want to establish the fact of your nurturing the book as a legacy, not just in your life, but in the life of those that are going to come after you. So we must study it. We must practice it. We must teach it. That's all I want to tell you today. Number one, let's study it. To study is to give careful inquiry, to dig out as a miner does the riches beneath the earth. And I know no country understands mining like Tanzania, at least in the region here. And what the miners do is that they pay attention going under the earth. I mean, they go there. They look for what the, after the alluvials. You know alluvials? Some of you know alluvials. If you're used to the mining language, the alluvials are the ones that are found at the surface. And those are usually the sign that there could be something under. And they begin to search going under. Going under, what they find is called a vein. And they begin to follow that vein in the rock until they finally find the port. That is called the jackpot. The belly of the real James. That's how you search the scriptures. That's how you study the scriptures. Careful inquiry. Digging out as a miner does riches beneath the earth. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 15, and he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me talk to you about that verse like you've never seen it before. Study to show yourself approved unto God. One of the only few places in the New Testament where we see something we can do that we may be approved unto God. Oh, hallelujah. And according to Paul's understanding, when you study the scriptures, because it is the revelation of God, he told him in another place, you must pay attention to the scriptures because they are able to make you wise. Can you imagine that? How many of you consider yourself to be wise? Be bold and strong about it and lift your right hand. You think you're wise. Lift your hand. 
Oh, Pastor Nsia, you have two, three, four, about five wise people in this church. But can I tell you something? If you give yourself to the scriptures, the Bible say they are able to make you wise. Yes. To make you wise. To make you wise. If you get used to the business and the character of speaking scripture, the next time you're a business meeting, you'll not be talking scripture, but scripture will be inf- uh, affecting what you are saying. And whoever listens to you will consider you wise. That's a wise man. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? Did you hear that point? He says, show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The workmanship of a man that deals with scripture does not leave room for shame. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I don't know what you consider to be the thing that drives shame. Maybe it is poverty. Scripture will knock poverty off of your life entirely. Poverty will be so ashamed and flabbergasted, it will divorce you forever. Somebody say hallelujah. I say somebody say hallelujah. Some of us are so used to playing and toying around with poverty because we've been raised in that environment and that atmosphere that you don't mind for poverty to be your maiden name. Oh, you were so poor in your family. The poor people called you poor. Somebody said we were so poor that the richest in our family only had a mukokoteni. What do you call mukokoteni in Tanzania? Yeah, that that mukokoteni. You know that. I mean, there. That's the legacy of the family. Glory to God. I want to introduce you to the book. It's going to knock the back of poverty off of your life in the mighty name of Jesus. I, I'm saying in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm saying in the mighty name of Jesus. And it will not just be for you and your house and your children and your wife but anybody that is attached to you even by bloodline have you had something called a generational curse that is carried and followed by bloodline the generational curse is not as tough as the power in the generation of blessing that flows by the word of God. And I can qualify that to you. In the law of Moses, the Bible declares in Deuteronomy that that, that curse would follow you up to the fourth generation. One, two, three, four generations. But when you begin to flow the blessing, I mean Deuteronomy 28, he says the blessing will flow to a thousand generations. Are we talking? So if reflections of the cars still have space, I will shock you. It's because you've allowed them permission. By your laziness, by your laissez-faire kind of life, by your uh, whatever will be, will be. After all, that is fatal. It is fatal. It is, it is, it is fatal. It is the reflection of animism. Uh, those that are uh, dualism, they, they worship God on Sunday, but on Friday they are with a witch doctor trying to get a political office. They are meeting a, they are meeting a guy in a little hut somewhere with a snake so that they get powers to do business. But on Sunday, they are in the church and their pew has their name they sit right behind the reverend uh, because they're able to give a wonderful offering it's called dualism they're trying to give a little to god and a little to whatever they think they want to get because they don't think god they serve is able to give them what they need to get in this real world and that's a lie from hell am i talking to somebody here i said am i talking to somebody here what god will give you nobody will be able to take from you and if god will not give it to you then nobody will ever give it to you are we talking are we talking are we talking it is only him that 
gives life and life abundant. And if you're going to live the fullness of that life, principle 101, watch the book. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. How do we know that is true? Dividing the word of truth. Dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. When we come to issues of health and well-being, you divide it. You come to issues of finances and, and, uh, and, uh, and money management, you divide it. I say hallelujah. I can't tell you how many times I'm in meetings that have nothing to do with church and they're inviting me as their speaker and I'm talking to uh, uh, a lead company of, of, of architects and I'm doing breakfast with uh, uh, lead companies of lawyers and I'm going to talk legal language but I wasn't in law school. The scriptures. Because the scriptures teach the law. The scriptures teach medicine. <laughs> Hallelujah. When the UK was the, the Great Britain of Great Britain, anything that you studied, you are not qualified as doctor of what you studied if there was no reverend before your names. Because the study of what they call theology, which we understand that was the study of the scriptures, is theos. It's actually the study of God. That you can give yourself to study God on top of whatever else you've chosen to study and not be a wise man. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I said, blessed be the name of Jesus. The word in the Greek is the word spoudazo, which means to exert oneself and endeavor with diligence. That is to make effort in terms of study. So you've not yet studied if you're still at level one of reading. I told you reading is different from study. Glory to God. I read in the mornings. I study in the nights. Uh, my wife will tell you uh, the night. Uh, you know the Bible says you meditate in it day and night. So in the morning when I wake up in the scriptures, I cruise from Genesis to Revelation. Five chapters, seven chapters. And don't you think it's impossible? Because you can do it. Huh? The first time I had somebody teach and say, read 10 chapters a day, I laughed and said, either this guy is lying or he has nothing else to do around. All he does is just read the scriptures. <laughs> Come on. So in the mornings, I meditate by, uh, by, by reading the stories. David and Uriah, David and the king, Nathan. I go to Josiah. I just read and read and read and read and read and gather it. Then in the, uh, and then as I read, the lights keep coming on. A green light here, a green light there, a green light there. Now that's what my journal does. Then in the evening, I go to my highlights of my journals and I begin the study. Second Chronicles, Chronicles, Chronicles 12 and 14. The Bible talks about Rehoboam. Yesterday we saw how Ezra prepared his head to seek the Lord. And if you look for that phrase in the Old Testament, you're going to find it everywhere among the kings. Prepared his head to seek the Lord. Prepared his head to seek the Lord. Prepared his head to seek the Lord. Talking about relationship and the ability to sacrifice whatever they have to so that they can give themselves to the will and the counsel of the Lord. In this 12 and 14 of Second Chronicles, we have Rehoboam and the Bible says he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And that's what happens. If your heart is not prepared to seek the Lord, the enemy is going to take advantage and evil will erupt. Because when you give your heart to seek the Lord, come on somebody. Like I said the other day talking to the marriage, 
God is your senior partner on that agenda because it is his will and his idea. He's a seriously interested party because if you make it on that agenda, guess what? Who receives the glory? For anything out of which God is going to receive the glory, he will stand like the big boss to defend it. Hallelujah. When I come to die, I try to learn Swahili every now and then. And the other day, Pastor Sia was teaching me Mungu Nimbabe. His bad is mean. He will stand to defend his agenda. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. You don't prepare your heart to seek the Lord like Rehoboam. You are going to do evil. Jesus taught it like this in what they call uh, the Lord's Prayer, which I really think is the disciples' prayer. He said, uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. What is the other word to say pray? Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Because if you don't, you will fall into temptation. Glory to God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. It is not like God is leading us into temptation, but if our hearts are touched of the Lord, to be prepared to seek the Lord, we will not be led into temptation. Glory to God. We will be delivered out of all evil. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. So we study it, number one, then we practice it. This is what we call applied theology. That the Bible is more than something to read and something to study to pass an exam. It is an application manual. It is a manual for applying in life. We must practice it. To practice is to strenuous pursuit and to put into practice. If you are practicing the order of what you are studying, you are going to have to put uh, a demand of strenuous pursuit that you may be able to practice what you are committed to. It is defined as the application of what you believe. That is practice. The original tongue is the word asa, which means to do, to fashion, to accomplish, to make, to work, to produce, and to act with effect to produce. Act with effect to produce. That is practice. So you give attention to certain something because you want to see a certain kind of result. That is to practice. So when we practice the word, we are giving our whole into it so that we may see a certain result, which according to the words of God to Joshua is that you may prosper and see good success. It's interesting the language of the scriptures because why does he have to say good success? Because that means there's actually bad success. What scripture does is fine. The grinds of the Lord may take some time, but when he's done with you, they grind excellently fine. Somebody say hallelujah. It is good success. When God puts in your, it in your hand, nobody can claim it because God will defend it. Having come out of the walls with the kings of Sodom and the other places, the Bible talks about Abraham uh, delivering his, uh, his, uh, his brother Lot and the kings of, uh, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other places. And, and you know, he began to uh, distribute the, the spoil to his young men. And, and the king told him, well, uh, let's see how uh, you're going to do this with, uh, with the wealth that you receive. And he was surprised because Abraham told him, you know what, I will not even 
touch a bit of it after your deliverance. Take care of my boys that did the job. In other words, pay the salaries and pay the taxes. The rest I will give back to you. And what is the reason behind that kind of ideology? He says that no, he says I'll not even take a shoeless. And listen to his reason why. That's how I want you to think. He says that no man may say that I made Abraham rich. Uh -huh. Hallelujah. Amen. I say Hallelujah. There are some deals you're going to do and you know you can fight for it. You can go to court and make a demand and probably win the case. But you're going to look at it and say, let pass. Because the God that works with me is able to do much more than that. The God that works with me is able to turn tables around me. Glory to God. That when it is done, nobody will make any claim. That's why the prophetic word for many of you yesterday was that God is going to qualify you beyond dispute. Though the spoke condemnation and all manner of evil conviction around you, their tongue will cleave to the roof of their mouth. That's the King James. In your colloquial language in the, in the street, their jaws will drop and they say, my God, I have nothing more to say. Look what God has done. You walk around them like you're cut walking in the streets of Paris in France where the models walk. Because when God does it, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot hide it. You cannot stay in obscurity. You cannot stay under the carpet. Glory to God. Even when you don't want to proclaim it. Are we talking? God will do what he has to do with you. For the world to see the glory of God. That God may have the substance to brag on. Because you see, if he doesn't do it in your life, he don't receive no glory. The Bible said that dead will not praise you in the grave where they go. So I'm committed that I will serve God with all my life. At least for anything. That for who I am, God Almighty will receive the glory. Amen. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Amen. The Old Testament example that, that expresses to us uh, this concept of practice many times is actually what is used to explain Noah's building of the ark, which is diligent effort. A demonstration of faith and hard work. The questions he had to answer because he talks about rain that nobody had ever seen. If you read the Bible well, the rain had never fallen before Noah. And yet he's making the ark with the uh, narrative that one of these days it's going to rain so hard that if you're not in this ark that I build, you will not be able to survive. I have a book on my shelf in the office that I'm reading right now about uh, the, 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 uh, the whole Noah's Ark issue. I mean, Ron Wyatt and the other archaeologists, thank you, someone went to school here, they have actually confirmed, glory to God, they have confirmed the existence of the remains of that Ark. Amazing. Glory to God. I mean, the evidence they have is appallingly amazing. And this guy built the ark in faith because God has said. Yeah? The parallel of that is that you read the book, you believe the book, you are convinced about the book, convicted about the book, and begin to practice what the book says. Because you see, Noah did not have the book. But you remember I told you it was spoken so that it may be written. 
So what he had spoken, we have written. And we have it written so that it may ultimately be spoken. So we must therefore practice the book. Oh, glory to God. I see God elevate someone out of disgrace and out of pain and anxiety by a little commitment to the book. I give you homework first day. I don't know how many of you took it seriously. But as you launch into the depth of the scriptures and begin to practice what you read and what you believe, God is going to surprise you. Immensely surprise you. Because what your grandfather, your grandmother's wisdom and your auntie's abilities and acumen could not do for you in the realm of business and whatever your industry may be by the wisdom of God God will elevate you and take your levels beyond your comprehension levels beyond your comprehension I said levels beyond your comprehension doctors practice medicine lawyers practice the law Sports people train and practice for fitness that they may be cutting age. As a matter of fact, if they don't practice, they will not be able to deliver in the game. So athletes don't become great by reading about their sport. They actually become great by practicing the sport. They don't just read about the article of the coming running a business that is happening in, uh, in somewhere in the world. They practice the sport. You don't want to be like the drunk that reads about the dangers of alcohol. And he read so much, it was traumatizing. He says, I've come with a brand new resolution this year. You want to know his resolution? Most of you are thinking, I'll never drink again. The brother said, I'll never read again. (laughs) Because the power is not just in the reading, which is the gathering of information, but the practice of what you believe. Because the Practice is the evidence that you believe what you have read. Oh, glory. Do you know how many people read the book and they don't believe it? They read it for religion. They read it because they have to uh, get married. Glory to God. Like the pastor said, some people come to church because in three months they're going to get married. And so they have to read the book. They read it because they're Christians. They're Christians not because they believe God, but because they're born in a Christian family and they have a Christian name. So every once in a while, they read the book. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about though the culture that uh, 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 denies the power thereof. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. I'm talking about the practice of the word for you not to practice the word in itself is actually the art of practicing the no practice i hope i'm not confusing you because practice is an art not to practice is an art that you'll excel in not practicing which is as dangerous as your life will take you glory to god if you don't practice you'll not achieve anything whether it's in your accounting career whether it's in your marriage whether it's in anything that you ever want to do so it is in the scriptures glory to god if you've heard about the ten thousand hour rule the ten thousand hour rule simply states that you'll become an expert at whatever you do if you can consistently do it for about uh, ten thousand hours whether you're a sportsman whether you're a public speaker whether you are whatever you are you can become an expert in your field and that's why many of us are jack of all trades and a master of none because we've not given ourselves to practice the way paul wrote it is said pour yourself unto these things give yourself wholly unto these things that your profit may appear to those that hear you oh hallelujah And so somebody asks a question, could it be possible 
that the reason you are not great and ever average is because you've never really poured yourself into something. Like I said the other day, that if you can't stand for something, you will fall for anything. The man that will stand and say, dare me now, that's the guy that will never fall for anything. For the young people, that day you make up your mind and say, this is the girl. I look at her, the figure, I look at the eyes, the movement of the hair. I'm convinced this is it. Until you make that decision, you'll keep helter-skelter. I mean... <laughs> I rest my case. Glory to God. So you must build there for the culture of the practice of the word in your life. When you practice the word in your life, something is going to happen. It will become the incarnation of the book within yourself because of your reading. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where we ended yesterday, reflecting to Jesus. In your own life, the word can become flesh. That's what I'm talking about. 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 So you begin to talk about it and it's no longer a theory. It's no longer an idea. It's not just a Bible school expression. It has become flesh in your life that you believe it for what it is and come hell or high water, it will come to pass because you have the assurance that God has spoken in your life. The psalmist says in 119 verse 105, he said, thy word is is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A light. A lamp. To what? My feet. To what? Somebody help me. My feet. Question, where are your feet going? When is the last time the lamp and the light on your path impacted the movement of your feet? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, you walk through life like it doesn't matter. If the horse used to ask the, the devil steal your wife, you say it doesn't matter. He, he knock down your business, you say it doesn't matter. He shake your health, you say it doesn't matter. Arrest your education, you can't finish your first degree, you say it doesn't matter. Gets annoyed Nigerian style and ask, when shall it matter if it don't matter when it matters? When is the last time you made a movement in your life in terms of your career, in terms of your, your, your destiny ideas, in terms of your decision, even just where you go tomorrow, what you're going to do after church, when is the last time that decision was based on the fact that his land, la, word is a lamp to your feet and a guide to your path? Are you surprised that you walk in darkness? Huh? In light is the path of life. Mm -hmm. Psalm 106, uh, Psalm, no, Psalm, Psalm 16. He will show me the path of life. For in his fullness is the, in the presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ah, my goodness. You've been deceived indeed. Jeremiah said, you deceived me and I was deceived. And he was wrong talking about the Lord. But some of us have been deceived and deceived indeed. To imagine that we can find pleasure outside the Lord. It is at his right hand that are pleasures forevermore. Glory to God. This is the level of your deception. That you are in a club, find a girl for the first time, go have a one night stand, and apparently that is pleasure. That has to be a lie. 
a damn lie from hell. Hey. Hey. Give me a response. Hey. Hallelujah. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We call it applied theology because the word must be applied. This is the consciousness of what the Bible does. This is the consciousness of what the Bible say and what we will do about the situation. In other words, every time I have a situation, my first question is, what does the Bible say about that? You'll be surprised that the Bible has everything to say about everything around you. Everything around you. I was teaching the other day and I was telling the people, Galatians 5, the fruit uh, of the flesh. We like the fruit of the spirit and we quote it all the time there, seven of them. But there is also of the flesh. A few verses above, Galatians 5. Take me to Galatians 5. Let's try. If you can find a proper week. Okay, let's begin with the King James. And a, a little weaker version would even bring it home clear. Galatians 5. 22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let's go maybe around 18, 17 there. Let's look at the fruit of the flesh. Works of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Let's go back. 17. Lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another so they cannot do the things that you would. So let's, let's, let's see. Okay, let's go. 18. If you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Thank you. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Somebody say manifest. You cannot even say that you don't know that you're in the flesh because they are manifest. <laughs> Glory to God. They are manifest. They are clear. Somebody say crystal. Come on, say crystal. They are crystal clear. The works of the flesh. They are manifest. Which are thus adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. This is where the club is. Uh, and, and such like. Lasciviousness. Give us a weaker version. Somebody needs help here. <laughs> glory, glory, glory. That's the idea of sexual looseness. Let's go. Let's go. Give us amplified envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior. Uh, let's go to. Uh, I wish you could have the message. Do you have the message? Okay, do you have the message? All right, uh, let's go back to lasciviousness. Must be uh, 20. Sinful nature are clearly evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That's total irresponsibility and lack of self-control, lasciviousness. Oh, some of you are shocked because your profile has just been distributed. <laughs> publicly diagonized works of the flesh but the thing that took me here let's let's finish the list let's finish the list uh when the dissensions factions promote heresies let's go i think it's 22 let's go 22 okay 20 20 go back before there let's finish that envy drunkness riotous behavior such things uh and other things like this. The King James says, and such like. Because I was saying that it will always give you an answer to everything in your life. 
Okay? So when you're talking about stuff that you don't seem to see in the Bible, in this list, he put the parenthesis and opened it so wide and such like. Come on, Pastor D. I haven't seen in the scriptures him talking marijuana. The only time I've seen is talking about, uh, about the, the hub in Genesis and such like. Haven't seen the club and this, that, the other. The club is actually in the revelings there. However, and such like. Glory to God. These things operate in communities and in societies and where they are, you always know the environment of such like. Glory to God. So we must practice it because if you practice the word, then you kill. That's the antidote to all of this. Because the spirits that are, the words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and they are life. When the word works in you, what you bear is not the work of the flesh which is manifest, but the fruit of the spirit. Give us verse number 22. It could be helpful to somebody. But the fruit of the spirit which is the result of his presence in us isn't that the practice of the word and of the presence of god is love that's unselfish concern for others that's an alien experience for many of us joy inner peace patience not the ability to wait but how we act while we are waiting kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and he says over these there is no law ladies and gentlemen the practice of the word of god will liberate you it will liberate you because now we are not dealing with your act of waiting we are dealing with how your behavior and how you wait oh glory to god Sometimes you go in a meeting and you're late and you go like, I apologize. Sorry, I was very, very late. They have waited. But the state in which they waited, you are actually not going to have a meeting. Come on, hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we're delivering our second baby, I was so anxious in the labor ward. We've walked around with a wife and, you know, the doctors are here every once in a while and leave her. But when I go to the corridors of the hospital, I would catch myself. Then I realize I'm actually not even bringing faith. It's just a demonstration of fear of the highest order. It's like I'm expecting terrible news anytime. The Bible says, the righteous shall fear no evil tiding for his heart is fixed. Trusting the Lord. Shift your mind and attitude. Everything changed for me at that moment. Because I was absolutely sure the baby is coming. It's going to be well. Have you heard the, the, uh, the, the announcement that the baby was born? The baby is well. The mother is doing well. The father is recovering. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. I have a good, good man. I was his best man during the wedding. He was in that state. And, and when he saw the baby coming, he ran and disappeared, praying in other tongues, which is not the prayer of faith. About an hour later, they're looking for him everywhere. They found him in the parking lot. He said the baby came a long time ago. Come on. Come on. Come on. So we have a form of godliness. It looks like religion. I mean, when we look at you, we really think you are praying. But it's the high-class demonstration of fear. It is your anxiety flowing. It's not that you are waiting, but how you are waiting. How you are waiting. I will keep him in perfect peace. 
It must be Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. Him whose mind is stayed on me. Why? For he trusteth in me. He says in verse number 4. Trust him the Lord forever. For in the Lord is everlasting strength. Ah, allow me, but people, to see a little bit. I say, Mungunem. It is in him that is everlasting strength. You cannot walk with God and fail on anything in your life. Hey! Not the Adonai. Not the El Shaddai. Not the Lord God of all flesh. He asked Jeremiah, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Hallelujah. When he asked Ezekiel to a 37, he said, son of man, can these bones live again? The prophet was a little wiser. He must have engaged in the word by the spirit of God. He said, Lord, thou knowest. Hey, hallelujah. I say, Hallelujah. Let me give you a discourse here. Nehemiah chapter number 10. Just quickly jump there. We've been in chapter number 8 for a while. Look at what it says in verse number, chapter number 10. It's quite a read, but I'm going to mumble jumble it here and there so that we get the concept. Glory to God. He says in verse number 28. We begin at 28 and go as fast as we can. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, and the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that were, uh, that had separated themselves from the people of the lands and to the law of their God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. Do you remember where we came from in chapter number eight? They've been reading the book from the first day until the last day, from morning until midday. How is the word impacting them now? They separated themselves from the people of the lands and to the law of God. Hallelujah. The power for separation does not come out of self-will. It is the effect of the word of God on your life. Come out among them and be ye separate. Why did they do that? They separated their sons, their daughters, because everyone having knowledge and having understanding. The impact of the legacy of the word. They claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and unto an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses. When they said they entered into a curse to walk in God's law, that's the covenant that says, if I ever turn away from your word, may I be accursed. Hallelujah. I mean, some of us are affected by causeless curses. Which are not supposed to alight. I mean, your stepmother's curse. <laughs> At your stepmother. Can you imagine a narrative of that kind? I can't get promotion at work because my stepmother, my stepmother. Come on. They entered a covenant that is as heavy as a curse. And they said, uh, what verse are we at? Uh, 29. They claimed to their brethren and their nobles, entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and observed to do all the things in the commandment of the Lord our God, and his judgment and his statutes. 
Number 30. And that they would not give their daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our own sons. Now the word is working. This is what we call practice. Our girls will not marry the heathen fellas around here. They may have the money. They may walk like Maftamingi. Hallelujah. They may be everything that a young man wants, but we will not give them our daughters and our sons will not take their daughters. And if the people of the land bring ware of any victuals, that is food, King James, food, on the Sabbath day to sell, this is market day, that we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year the exaction of every debt. Ladies and gentlemen, theology applied. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these are the things you're supposed to do. God will show you what you're supposed to do by the book. According to them, by the law of Moses, the book impacted them that they are building up a constitution. Number one, our daughters cannot marry their sons. Number two, our sons cannot marry their daughters. Number three, we will not go to the market on the, on the, on the, on the Sabbath. Even though they bring victuals, which is food, we will not go to buy it on a holy day because the book says so. The impact of the book and therefore the practice of the book on the seventh year uh, we will let go of all exa uh, the exaction of debt meaning the jubilee debts debt free the debts will be forgiven verse number 32 also we made an ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. 33. For the showbread and for the continual meat offering and the continual burnt offering and the Sabbath of the new moons and the set feast for all the holy things for the sin offerings and for the atonement all these things they are gathering from the book alright. For Israel and for all the work of the house of God. 34. And we cast lots among the priests and the Levites and the people for the wood offering and to bring into the house of the Lord our God after the house of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Whatever we are going to do and practice as it is written in the law. 35. And to bring the first fruit of the ground, and to bring the first fruit of the fruit of all trees year by year unto the house of the Lord. Also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the first and the and the firstlings of our herd and of our flocks, to bring to the house of God and to the priests that minister in the house of God. Thirty-seven, that we should bring to the chambers of the house of the Lord our God the tithes of our ground and to the Levites and the same Levites which might have the tithes in the cities uh, of our tillage. 38 and the priests of the sons of Aaron shall be with the Levites with the, with, with the Levites uh, to take tithes and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithe into the house of God to the chambers new wine and oil and the, uh, uh, unto the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers and we will not forsake the house of the Lord our God. A very long read there, but you can capture it every time. I said you must be captured by the thunder of the word. Now they give fast fruits because of the word. Now they give their tithes because of the word. Now they're keeping the book because of what they've seen in the book. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the fountain of scriptures flowing in your life that is going to begin to govern the decisions of your life and you're going to see consequences that will be divine. 
It's the transaction of divine activity. I feel like I could be talking above some of your heads. It is the transaction of divine activity. In the spirit, it is acknowledged. Glory to God. I say hallelujah. You understand that his hierarchy in the spirit, he has exalted his word above his name. In other words, when we call the name, we must demand the authority of the word that gives uh, jurisdiction to the name. Are you talking? I said, are we talking? I said, are we talking? Do you need evidence? The seven sons of Skeva trying to cast out a devil in the book of Acts. You remember the story. Apparently, they called on the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. That's the Jesus of Nazareth. But you know what happened? The word was not there. The jurisdiction of authority of the word that is exalted above the name. The understanding of why we call on the name. You know what happened? Those boys came upon them, the Bible says. They beat them and they left with their behinds exposed. <laughs> it's in the scriptures. Have you read the narrative? Come on. So the fountain of the scriptures is the same instrument. The word in our hands. It has given, given to us and that's the change that is going to happen to the world if you and I will practice the word. Lift your right hand of power and say I will practice. Say I will practice. Say I will practice. I will practice the word. I will study the word. I will practice the word. Matthew 5 and 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these, the least of these commandments, shall, and, and uh, shall teach men so, he will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But listen, whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom. So listen to this. By this I can reflect and deduce, conclude, that your greatness is directly proportional to the deposit of word on the inside of you. On the inside of you. The inside of you. Angels know that. Devils know that. Your existence knows that. Without what deposit you are so light. You are like the moving chaff. I mean your neighbor can scream. Your knees will have fellowship. You will shift then following morning. There are others that are so heavy on a word, they draw the line on, on the sand. That's what our pastor told us to do many years ago. Every time you meet the devil, you draw the line in the sand and say, hey, one of us is living and it's not me. And the devil knows why exactly. Yeah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Everything he has to say, a whisper, there is a flow of the word because you are loaded. You are armed and dangerous. 40 days in the wilderness when he finally met the devil, they had a little brief diabolical conversation and every approach the devil went, Jesus had a word for him. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word but proceeded out of the mouth of God. In other words, you think I'm at the bread level. Let me give you a revelation. I'm at the word level. The proceeding word. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are those that crush over bread. I left that WhatsApp group a long time ago. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Sometimes the devil would whisper a long time ago when you were just married and say, Look, the fridge is empty. There's no food in the fridge. <laughs> I tell him I'm actually fasting today. I can just decide to begin to fast right now. Right now, right now, right now. Yes. Come on. <laughs> yes. 
I remember a day like that. I don't know if my wife remembers, but we had a day like that. And then that day, the auctioneer declared, I'm coming, uh, I think around 12 o'clock, to clean your house and because this and that and the other is not paid. I said, I can't be intimidated by an empty fridge. I will fast. The auctioneer, I can either declare he has a headache and he doesn't come. You know, headache is not so bad. Can't make them crazy or something. Just spoil their schedule. <laughs> Glory to God. Or I can decide, let the miracle fall before midday. And I chose the latter. At around maybe 5.30, somebody called. Are you at home? I'm in the neighborhood. I told my wife, this one, this call that is coming at 11.30, I see something. We went downstairs to receive her. Then we used to live in flats and apartments. And she did not only have all the bills for all the money for our bills to be paid that day. She also had a, 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 a boot full of, of shopping. True or false? Hey, hey, ah. <laughs> hallelujah. I say hallelujah. If I testify, we can take a whole day. I remember another day like that. And I said, by, by morning, all our needs are supply. Then this guy calls around 10. He says, I want to come by your house. And my wife is like, you know, we don't have this. We don't have, we don't have this. I think he shouldn't come today. And I'm telling her, based on the time that he's calling and my declaration in the morning, it is very likely that he's the one carrying the miracle. And for sure, that's what it was. Can I tell you something, guys? You believe the word, God will shock you. You walk with the word, God will shock you. Some of you will be so shocked, you'll be embarrassed to testify. There are some things that are so big that you want to go slow with them in public. Too good to be true. The whole world thinks you must be a liar. You must be dealing in some kind of, a, some kind of drugs and, and things that you cannot explain. The Lord bless your darling soul. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, say hallelujah. Let me not belabor you much with a practice there. Let me finish with a teaching. Glory to God. Because we say you study it, you practice it, and then you teach it. Let's talk a little bit about the teaching and I'll be out of your way. To teach is the image of instructing by goading or prodding as a master does an ox. That we receive it and we begin to prod it and goad it over those around us. Our children, our people, our congregations. That when everything is said and done. When you lay the microphone down. A seed of truth has been sown in somebody's heart. That they can never be the same again. Never be the same again. Never ever be the same again. There are people that I meet. I don't even know them in a long time. And they say, you remember in such and such a year when you came to our city, that's when I received the Lord. I was asking you about Pastor David from, uh, from Boston, Rita Bella's husband. He surprises me. He's like, when you came to the Kremlin campus in such and such a year, that's someone you preached that day. That's when I gave my life to the Lord. Now the gentleman is pastoring a church in Boston. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. To what degree is the impact of your words in community? Hallelujah. Some of your words need hisop. 
I think you don't have it in Dar es Salaam. I'm sure you have happy. Your words need that. Some words after you say them, we need to flush the system. Because we don't want to hear it again. Ever hear it again. Mothers talking to your children. Huh? Uh-huh. You had from your mother's mother's mother who had from their mother that money does not grow on trees. So you also tell your children, Kwani, does money grow on trees? Let me tell you, there is a generation you can disciple and mantle with graceful finance that they will use money as if it grows on trees. Hallelujah. So one of the great purpose of, of declaration of truth is actually for the learning of others. For the learning of others. If we can have the courage to declare it, somebody else is going to learn something. Glory to God. Not just for self-benefit or beneficiary, but for others also for their benefit. You therefore become a benefactor rather than a beneficiary. You release it. Glory to God. Second Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, that the things that thou hast heard of me in among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall also be able to teach others. How many generations are we talking about there? Be strong in the grace of God. Some of us are so strong in the fear of man. Some of us are strong for the deception of our generation. I mean, if you talk to us about how terrible next year is going to be, some of us could even believe you and give you an offering. Paul says, be strong in the grace of God. Be strong in the grace of God. When the world is standing upside down, be strong in the grace of God. In the knowledge of God, be strong. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, pass them to faithful men. Who will pass them to faithful men? Who will also be able to teach others? That's the power of the gospel. Today we celebrate the gospel because the apostles passed it on to the church fathers. The church fathers passed it on to the next generation and to the next generation they went to the to the to the what is called the Nicaea conference in Turkey many hundreds years ago they came up with documents like I believe in God the father almighty creator of the heavens and the earth I believe in Jesus Christ he's only begotten uh, uh, of the father somebody help me if you know the apostles creed those are the foundations of our faith because men learned the truth from scripture and they began to govern the affairs of man not only giving us religion but tradition and life that if you live by the scriptures you carry on yourself what has been released to us from others glory to God forever I said glory to God forever Paul told Timothy, if you study history, you'll find that Timothy became the bishop of, of Ephesus. He died at about 80 years. By the time he died, he was an old man. You can imagine from a young man when Paul was pouring on him, how many lives Timothy as a bishop of Ephesus had impacted because Paul's seed was on his life. Come on. Come on, come on. Oh, bless God forever. Bless God, bless God forever. Bless God forever. I'm going to use Matthew 28, which my wife touched a little bit yesterday. The Great Commission built out of the creation mandate of Genesis 1 and 28. If, if you understand that, I will be out of your way. Because the word to teach in the Greek comes in two dimensions. Number one is the word didasko. All right? Didasko, didasko, didasko. 
didasco to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them and deliver didactic courses. In other words, to teach, to give discourses uh, that are able to teach and to instruct them. Glory to God. Uh, didasco, that is Delta, Iota, Delta, Alpha, Sigma, uh, Kappa and Omicron, all right, to, to discharge the office of a teacher, conduct oneself as a teacher, to impart instruction, instill doctrine unto one, all right, and the thing taught or enjoined to explain or expound the thing, the thing taught or enjoined to explain a thing. So when we teach, we teach to enjoin. That's why the King James called engrafted word, because the word is only powerful after it is engrafted. All right. After it is engrafted. You've had some 23 all your life from your grandmother and all the religion you've grown up wherever you have been attending. I mean, you know some 23. You can talk it off your head. Problem is, it has never been grafted in your spirit. So when you have a problem, you don't remember that you are the sheep of his pasture. That the Lord is your shepherd. I made a covenant with God that I lack for nothing good. For he's a son and a shield. He gives grace. He gives, he gives, he's a son and a shield. He gives grace and glory. And no good thing will he will hold from the righteous. Glory to God. How can the Lord be my shepherd? And then I want. He says, I shall not. Come on somebody. I shall not. Come on, say I shall not want. Come on. But you know, <laughs> I don't have a husband yet. You shall not want. With or without a husband. By the way, you can even not want without a job. Job is going to come as agent of providence, but not as a, as, as a source of providence. That's why your money is called a resource. Because there is a source before the resource. <laughs> Hallelujah. I feel that's prophetic for somebody. Say, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. So he says here, oh boy, I feel like, okay, glory to God. Let's try, let's try. The first one is Zidasco, right? The second one is Mathetuo, glory to God, which means the teaching of a making of a disciple, which is the word used for discipleship. I give you those two so that you can understand Matthew 28. All right, I'll read from verse 18 to 20, and this is going to be our knocker today. He says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 19, go ye therefore and teach Mathetuo. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20. Teaching them, Didasco, to observe the things whatever I've commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the uttermost end of the world. That we disciple Mathetuo by teaching Didasco. As you teach him all the things that I've commanded you, which is the book, you will be able to disciple nations. Can we try that again? That you may, that you may, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore. 
teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All power has been given unto me. In other words, he's disposing and delegating his power within our hands to be able to execute what he could have done. How do we do that? By discipling the nations. How do we do that? By didascoing them, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. That is the book. When you didasco them, then you matheture them. If you teach them the book, then you're able to disciple them into the ways of Jesus Christ. Then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I'm going to uplift your knowledge a little bit because you see, every time you hear baptizing them, you imagine the little drops uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Understand the scripture. You will disciple them, Matthew 2, baptizing them in the name. The Greek word is baptizo, which means to immerse. So you immerse them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the process of Matthew to be able to didasco. You teach them to observe by immersing them in the name which is the book, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I have no trouble with water. I baptize, you know, many times. These days, other people help me baptize. But to baptize you in water without baptizing you in the name is as irrelevant as you can imagine. Come on. That's why many of you were baptized in 1474 and you still live like a... <laughs> Come on. So the power is not in the water. In the name. Be immersed in the name. How can you understand the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and still live a mediocre life? Can I tell you something? You can be great on anything you choose to do. Anything you choose to do. If you're a sportsman, you can be the best. If you're a musician, you can be a mover. If you are a, a, a business person, you can be a mega. You can be a mogul, I tell you. Any direction you choose to go, the grace of God is on you. Disciple in the ways of the kingdom. Glory to God. Submitted, subjected, and baptized in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have been didascored. You have been mathetured. For lack of better words to say it in English. English, all power in heaven and man, you don't know what backs you up in the things you do for the kingdom. You have no idea. You have no idea your backup. He said, You are the apple of my eye. If I could demonstrate that for you, the thing with the highest level of security on your physical body is your eye. Whether it is rays of light, whether it is a fly passing, whether it's a brother trying to kiss in the wrong place. They, before your hand comes, the eye has already closed. The, I mean security, high level security because of the apple of the eye. Blessed be the name of Jesus. He says, you are the apple of my eye. You inscribed as a signature in the palms of my hands. God will defend you against any order if you stand on his service. Glory to God. To give yourself to his word, that you will study it, that you'll practice it, that you will teach it. Glory to God. Anything that tries to stand against you shall be ashamed eternally. 
Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. I said, blessed be the name of Jesus. Anything that tries to frustrate you shall be frustrated. Anything that tries to flabbergast you shall be made lame. I mean, they'll be broken their legs. They will they'll run out. They will be disorderly in their idea. Somebody say hallelujah. Any witch that imagines that they will stand against you to become enemies of your progress, they are going to meet with Angel Michael, the archangel, the fighting angel. Somebody say hallelujah. I say hallelujah. hallelujah. If they are wise, we'll send Gabriel to them first. He will come to them when they are asleep and he will tell them, that guy you're trying to touch, don't you dare, don't you dare. That's what happened to Pilate. Playing around with Jesus. He received an angel in the night, the wife, and said, that man. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. A great teacher has no end to their own learning, their love for learning. Because we must love the book, we must teach the book, we must instruct the book. In his teaching, Jesus referred to divine authority. In the Old Testament, he quoted the Old Testament 78 times. The Pentateuch alone, 26 times. He quoted from the OT books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea the prophet, Amos, Jonah, even Micah and Malachi. He referred to the Old Testament as the scriptures, the word of God, and the wisdom of God. The apostles quoted OT 209 times from the Old Testament, considering it the oracles of God. That was what was written for them. And whatever they demonstrated and lived was written for us. We are so highly privileged that we can quote OT and quote New T and just demonstrate it before the people. It is our generation that understands that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I can go in Genesis and see Jesus. I come to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Joe, I see Jesus. I come to the book of Acts, I see Jesus. If it saturates my being, ladies and gentlemen, if I find you at the get beautiful, I could as well say, silver and gold have I none as of now, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk glory to God. And that can be true in every area of your life because the word you have deposited on the inside of you has empowerment to command and release change at every level of your life. Let's finish it for real. Ezra 7 and 25. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God, which is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach them that know not. Somebody say hallelujah. This is Ezra the scribe that reads the book. He has come to the place that the word is maturing in him and that delivery must begin to be exposed. Listen to what the Bible says. He says, and thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God. They are not looking for how handsome you are. They are not looking for how much you articulate. They are not looking for what good words you have to say. Your bombastic kind of language and your bling bling. They are looking for the wisdom of thy God. Somebody say the wisdom of my God. That is in thine hand. It is the wisdom of God but is in thine hand. How is it in your hand? It is the book in your hand. 
it is the wisdom of God in your hand. By the wisdom of God that is in your hand. Now responsibility is coming. Set magistrates, judges, which may judge other people that are beyond the river. All such that know the lords of thy God. And teach ye them that don't know. The ones that know, we will teach them and give them justice. The ones that don't know, we will teach them that they may know the laws of our God. That's the transformation of nations. That's the formula for worldwide economies. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. 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 If you go back to Paul's relationship with Timothy, again as we wind, if you go 1 Timothy 3 and 2, 2 Timothy 2 and 24, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, I mean, he said they will not endure sound doctrine. They will heap for themselves. Teachers having itching ears. 1 Timothy 6 and 2, these things teach. These things you do what? Teach them so that another generation will be able to run with them. Glory to God. Second Chronicles 17 and 9. This is the story of Jehoshaphat. He sent the Levites and he said, they taught in Judah and they had the book of the law with them. And they went about throughout the cities of Judah and they taught the people. You will study it. You will practice it. And they expect you to teach the people. Every one of you has capacity to teach. Don't leave that as relegated responsibility for Pastor Seer and her team always laboring here. My wife said brilliantly yesterday, your children are not Pastor Seer's children. They are not the Sunday school teacher's children. They are your children. Teach them in the way they should go. Huh? You know, the secularism of education has taken the children away from their parents. And those parents have learned that culture. The rest of the business they let the pastor and the children's teachers to do. In other words, they've pushed away the responsibility given to them of God. He said they taught the people. They had the book of the law with them. They went around all Judea and they taught the people. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He teaches us so that through us he may be able to teach others. And my plea today, do not clog the flow by not being able to teach the one next to you. You may not teach like me, but you sure have an anointing to teach somebody. You may not talk like I do, but you sure can teach somebody something. Teach them what you know. The mystery about the teaching grace is that the more you teach, the more you understand. Oh, hallelujah. The reason you know so little is because you've read a little bit, you've studied a little bit, you've practiced a little bit, you have taught probably not at all. Anytime you give yourself to teach, you will understand that more and even greater. Somebody say hallelujah. I'll finish with Martin Luther's quote, who's become one of my all-time favorites, reading his story and his journals and his life. He says when he was asked, how did you bring about the great reformation that turned Europe upside down? His answer say, I simply read and taught and wrote the word of God. Otherwise, I did nothing. When I slept, the words so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or an emperor ever inflicted such damage upon it meaning the papacy I did nothing the word of God did it all 
Hallelujah. Some would like to approach the papacy with guns and ideas and theories and constitutions and debates and claim that and claim the other. This reformer said, all I did was to read and to teach and to write. This is the guy that translated the whole Bible from the, from the, from the Latin, which was the Roman language where the Pope had locked it, that nobody can read it outside of the Vulgate, which is the Latin language. And the man brought it into German vernacular, out of which they got the English translation. Are you listening to me? The transformation of a nation. He says, his work by the word of God weakened the prophecy to such a degree that there was no prince or emperor that ever inflicted so much damage upon the system of the prophecy. And they say that did nothing at all. The word of God did it all. So the word will build your marriage. The word will build your business. The word can rearrange your, your, your politics. I say the word can rearrange your finances. Read it. Speak it. Declare it. Write it. Teach it. Push it. I mean, take it wherever you go. You will see your boundaries falling in pleasant places. And you receive a heritage that can never be challenged. Because the word of God, as the Bible say, the grass withers and the flower fades. But his word shall endure forever. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and share the message to your family and friends. Follow us on our social media at Kingstar Church.